You're listening to Audible Impact, podcast of the LSE's Impact of Social Sciences blog. We publish daily posts from leading academics on the feasibility, evaluation, and diversity of social science research. Visit us at lseimpact.com. Now, close your eyes, dear listeners. Think of the academic workplace. What do you see? Endless emails, spreadsheets, stacks of books, journal submissions, exam marking? (laughs) Wait, what's so funny about that? Well, it turns out, a lot. Here we look at how academic minutia can be a vehicle not only for gut-busting laughter, but a strategy for public engagement. Bright Club, a self-styled, thinking person's variety night, started first and foremost as a comedy night, but with one twist. The comedians were also university researchers. Since 2009, Bright Club has grown from a backroom gig in a London pub to 10 satellite clubs across the UK, and even one internationally in Melbourne, Australia. Bright Club recently held a comedy night at the University of Manchester for the International Congress of History of Science, Technology and Medicine. Here's what happened when academics and researchers indulge in some academic joke-telling. We remember jokes much better than we remember talks or facts. It's a good way of making people's brains sufficiently active that they're listening and learning rather than sitting passively. Would you please welcome to the stage from the University of Manchester, Alex Hall! Ever since humans decided to sh** behind closed doors and call it progress... As most uh, artists uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, Picasso had one very noble aim in life. Getting laid. We have experts who claim to know whether rain or snow is on its way. Or sleet, for that matter. Or, as I prefer to call it, snane. It's partly about getting researchers to rethink their own work from a new perspective and to rethink their new work through the lens of how is this funny rather than what does this mean or how does this get me my next grant. My name's Steve Cross. I'm head of public engagement at UCL. We very much see stand-up comedy as the first stage in a process of dialogue. Picasso, who was doing a lot of opium and absinthe at the time, said that he could visualise the fourth dimension, of course. Um, But no, um, ladies in the room, let's make eye contact again, okay? Uh, Imagine this charming guy talking you into this amazing art and mind-blowing philosophy and really weird science and coming up to you and going like, hello, baby, shall I show you the Wouldn't you reply, oh yes, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh. Bright Club came about because as head of public engagement at UCL, my steering group said to me, the university's very good generally at talking to you until you're about 18 when you're trying to decide which university to go to. And then for a lot of people, you won't hear from UCL again until you're in your 50s and you start to watch Horizon and you start to listen to Radio 4. And they challenged me to come up with something that an audience between the ages of 18 and 50 who don't normally interact with universities would come to. Now, I'm sure the Aztec high priest who killed himself because he failed to bring the reins that year would have been appalled at the treatment that Michael Fish received in 1987. The thing we came back to was stand-up comedy. The idea that you could become a good enough stand-up to do eight minutes of material about your research without too much preparation 
and the fact that there was an audience for stand-up out there. There was already starting to be an audience for stand-up with quite an intellectual bent to it. For those of you not from the UK and not familiar with Michael Fish's uh, infamous forecast from 1987, Michael Fish um, related a call that the Met Office had received where a woman had rang in and was worried about a hurricane on its way. Michael Fish rather patronisingly reassured her that there was no such thing on its way. Unfortunately, there was a storm coming from the other direction, and the next morning the UK woke to chaos. The south of England was devastated. 15 million trees were flattened. Yeah, that's one, five, and six zeros. Um, and the worst storm since 1703 had hit the islands. We thought it was really important that whatever we did wasn't just taking the university's content and pushing it to the world, but was actually the first stage in a series of conversations between researchers and members of the public. Michael Fish's case has become quite famous. It was actually featured in the opening ceremony of the Olympics last year. Um, on Wikipedia, it has its own page, and apparently it is now what is called a British cultural meme or meme. Um, I, I'm never sure on that word, but I think it's got something to do with cats wearing hats on YouTube. When you tell jokes, you have a licence to say things that you wouldn't normally say. And I tell this to academics, and I say to them, we've focus-grouped with our audience, we've checked. They know that when you're on stage and you say something, you are trying to be funny, which means you might not have time to be fully fair to all the different parts of your subject. So sometimes you can try to dig towards things that you think might be true or you think might be interesting, but you can't fully back up with lots and lots of quantitative evidence. So I, I do that a lot when I tell jokes, is just start to move towards things that I think, knowing that people know that I'm making a joke, and I don't really mean it. But along with uh, being uh, a kind of multi-dimensional charmer, Picasso was also a bit of a multi-dimensional bastard. So this is uh, what uh, his uh, women uh, looked like after having experienced uh, the fourth dimension. That was Steve Cross, Alex Hall, and Chiara Ambrosio on the lighter side of research. But what's it like to be under those bright lights? We asked one PhD candidate and Bright Club regular to tell us more about her experience. I think about it as though I'm at a party and I'm meeting someone for the first time. And I don't want them to think that I'm doing something incredibly boring because, believe me, I can make my research sound very, very boring. My name is Sarah Wiseman and I am from UCL and I'm currently studying a PhD in computer science and psychology. It's fantastic, Sarah Wiseman. Give us something! My name is Sarah Wiseman and I like numbers. Very interesting. Very interesting. You're right, that's a bit of a dodgy intro, isn't it? Actually, if you try it at a party, you'll soon find out that it makes people not want to give you their number. <laughs> <laughs> the main thing I have to do is forget about all the things I care about um, <laughs> as, a, as an academic, I guess, and I have to kind of like start again and, and come up with all of the things and the reasons that, I'm, that I love my research from a person point of view. I don't want to make the difference. I don't want to say that academics aren't people, but sometimes they're not. numbers on devices. In fact, I'm a bit of a geek about it. But Sarah, I hear you cry, 
Why should we believe anything you say? You don't even have a PhD. Well, firstly, that's a really mean thing to say, okay? PhDs are hot. I'm trying. <laughs> Rather than using these abstract examples that you would have in, a, in an academic paper, you have to come up with new examples to make a, a, an audience go, oh, I see how that might be relevant to me. That is interesting for my everyday life. In the 60s, people were doing work on how we should enter numbers. They were trying to design how phones should work, so how numbers on a phone should look, numbers on a calculator, numbers on a cash point, everything like that. Now, the 3x3 three three design that we're all used to isn't a given. No, they were trying out loads of crazy stuff. They were insane. It was the 60s. <laughs> so what they thought first was that maybe we should lay the numbers out like a rainbow. Or maybe we should lay them out like a pyramid. And I kid you not here, okay, if design 1B had won, right, if these researchers had decided that 1B is definitely the right answer, we would all be entering numbers on a crucifix. <laughs> Seriously, they thought a crucifix might be a brilliant idea. Can you imagine? I'm not necessarily the... <laughs> Jimmy Carr's school of comedy in terms of like one-liners. Um, they're all very story-based, my jokes. They're all very story-based. One thing we do know is about this thing called Denver's Law. So this tells you that if you've got a data set and you pick a number at random from it, it's very likely that that number will begin with a one. And if it doesn't begin with a one, it's very likely to begin with a two, and then a three, and then a four. You get the, you get the picture. So one's very likely, nine's not very likely. So what's most interesting about this it's because it's quite counterintuitive. It can tell you when people have made up data or when it's really got from the real world type data. And so this is quite good when you're trying to check out financial fraud and stuff. One example of this is in the, uh, the recent Greek financial data. They ran that through Benford's Law uh, and found out that it didn't look very predictable at all, <laughs> which probably indicated that it was slightly fabricated. Uh, in the sense that the news of the world was slightly nosy recently. <laughs> there are kind of two benefits I've received from, from doing Bike Club. One is just it's fantastic getting experience talking uh, and, and presenting and, and testing out new styles of getting across your ideas. Um, and it's just, you know, good for building confidence. Like um, recently at a conference I, I had to give a presentation and the, um, the, the, pro the projector wasn't working. And so I think having done Bike Club five or so times, I was far more confident going, OK, no, we don't need the slides, I'll just talk at you. Now, it's not just uh, countries you can run it on, you can also run it on people. No, hang on, not people. Uh, you can also run it on MPs. <laughs> so, uh, with all of this extensive claim data we've got, uh, you can run it through Benford's Law, and you find out who's got the most realistic-looking data. So, Harriet Harman, she looks good. All of the Benford Law stuff, it, it comes out right, it comes out right. Now... Our former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Alistair Darling, you run his stuff through it and it doesn't look so good. You actually get a whole load of threes and fours which really aren't predictable and aren't explainable at all. I'm just going to leave that out there so you're all thinking about it. And uh, the second benefit is obviously just um, thinking about my, my research in a different way. So ordinarily the audience that I'm you know, writing for or, or presenting to uh, care about the methods and um, the controls that I used and s significance and the generalizability of it. Whereas uh, with a, the Bright Club audience, they care about why is this interesting? Uh, why should I personally care about it? So, being interested in medicine and medical devices, I decided to uh, look at what numbers were being used in hospitals. And like Benford's Law, I found out there was a pattern. Uh, there were loads of zeros happening. 
loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of freaking zeros being used, and then a few ones and twos and fives being being thrown into the mix. So you know, if you've um, if you've ever wondered about what what numbers people are typing on casualty, um, then you're a freaking loser. Uh, but also, we could probably be Facebook friends afterwards. <laughs> My, my department is is very supportive of the Bright Club initiative. Um, um, in particular, I'm associated with a, a project called Climate, and we're very interested in public engagement and the idea of sharing our research. And like Bright Club is such a novel and fun way of doing it. So as academics, we strive to get other academics to cite us in journals or papers, but that's not for me. No, 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 no. I'm only higher, which is why very recently this appeared in the national newspaper. That's right, Sarah Wiseman, my name up in lights. And what's more, not even my name appear in this newspaper. No, 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 I've been promoted. I'm now a scientist. If you're talking in this in a funny way, you, you have an opportunity to, to talk honestly about your research and kind of make fun of it at times as well, because it is sometimes quite silly. It just gives you a lot more freedom to talk as though you would uh, in any other situation, not as stuffy academic Sarah Wiseman. And it gets better, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Not only am I a scientist, but I am a Daily Mail accredited scientist. <laughs> and as such, I come up with gems like this. Customers who make mistakes are not idiots. <laughs> That's an insight. You're not going to get that on one of the universe, are you? That's science. That's knowledge. That was Sarah Weissman. That's all for this episode of Audible Impact. Tune in next time to hear the second part of our series, Public Engagement and Its Discontents, where we hear from a wide range of academic professionals on the virtues and pitfalls of this divisive concept. This podcast was produced by Cheryl Brumley, and for a full list of music and sound used, visit our blog at lseimpact.com. I'm Sierra Williams. Thanks for listening.